0: Good evening! Welcome to the Venture Brothers Podcast, episode se- uh, Season 7, Episode 4. This is the Venture Brothers Podcast, brought to you by Graphic Policy Radio. Love the Venture Brothers cartoon, but afraid of missing the plethora of historical references and layers of meaning behind each episode? Join pop culture and history experts Elon Levin, that's me, and Stephen atowell that's him, uh, for our podcast, examining each episode of the hit Adult Swim show, definitely be calling on Stephen's experience as a professor in New York University. Uh, quite a deal, big, <laughs> quite a lot for this episode, I imagine. Um, this podcast, this season seven, episode four, The High Cost of Loathing. Uh, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about the subject of the title. It's a riff off the Sandman Graphic novel spinoff, um, Death: The High Cost of Living, which I feel like is one of the most everyone in the '90s read it moments of uh, pop culture from like in indi- sort of I don't know indie uh, comics, alt- yeah. indie comics, alternative culture stuff. Yeah, and as like a-
1: alt comics is uh, like alternative comics is actually a little bit more descriptive since you know Vertigo is owned. In whole cloth by DC. By DC, yeah, yeah. Was not independent.
0: You could certainly buy it at any store, including the Barnes & Noble, in which the copy that I borrowed surely had been purchased in the first place. Um, Um, But
1: yeah. And it's also just a reference in general to the high cost of living, uh, because it's tied to a whole bunch of different plot elements that we'll discuss uh, later in the
0: episode. And hey, if you haven't read Death, the High Cost of Living by this time, you, you should. It's still good. I think it holds up last I looked at it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, all of Sandman, I think, is pretty good. You know, there's some elements that hit ha- that not come aged well. As, yeah, a bit yeah. 80s, but good. so we start this episode with uh, an interesting sequence. Um, I-, I didn't notice that it said two months later, um, and you know, it was just me noticing that they do a lot of interesting like time stuff this season. Like rather than having sort of discrete uh ep- you know sort of like slice of life episodes or you know sequential stuff it's a lot of sort of skipping back and forth mm-hmm. um so here we see the monarchs uh crew attacking a venture industry ship um in a you know, sort of like smoothly coordinated military assault that was reminiscent vaguely of america captain america winter soldier and under or
0: under siege i wasn't sure I think it reminded me of Under Siege as well, although I've only seen Under Siege 2. <laughs> um, right. But, but yeah, I think the Captain America one in particular, like there's something about the way it was shot. I wouldn't be surprised if that yeah, was a and, reference.
1: Yeah, and the, the like, you know, hinge, uh, you know, guards getting taken out one by one uh, without a chance to, to say anything that's very much like that opening tracking shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that sort of immediately caught my attention is that both the Monarch... And his henchmen, including uh, Twenty-One, have a lot of new tech. Like, Twenty-One's, like, Wolverine claw is a lightsaber that actually functions. They're all wearing snazzy black uniforms. And, uh, as you point
0: out... Yeah, it looks a lot like the Deaths Had Panoply outfit that the monarch wore. Except it actually works. Yeah, except it actually works. I think it was season two... The episode where he where he actually goes and slaughters all of the Hank and Dean clones, um, he sort of envisions he actually wears this ridiculous immobile getup, and there's even a place that manufactured of his death's head panoply, and he's definitely wearing a, a functioning version of that in his yeah. fantasy.
1: Um, and I also noticed that um, one of the things that his his uh, fancy new suit can do. Is it has like a version of what I think is the Captain America logo plastic wrap thing from uh, Superman 2? Because one of the Venture Guards gets stuck to a, uh, a shipping container mm-hmm. um, and then sort of like vacuum sealed. Uh, with a Monarch logo.
0: Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, okay, cool.
1: Yeah, so they bust and open a crate of J-watches, which are clearly watches
0: Owned um, by Venture Industries.
1: Right, because, you know, in this universe, Jonas Venture Jr. is effectively Steve Jobs. Like, he created the J-phone, he created the J-watch, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so... Then they sort of open the crate, and it's enriched uranium, and one of, one of the funnier lines, like, it's a total throwaway thing, but one of the henchmen, like, crosses himself and goes like, Madre de Dios, says, God can't hear you, Venti-Sex. Uh, it's just, like, such a weird thing. And then he peels off the label on the original uranium, and it's actually handy-dandy pomade for his eyebrows.
0: And facial hair wax does come in a variety of quality levels. I understand wanting to stick it out until you find the kind that has exactly the right texture for your needs. Uh, we later find out that the particular brand of handy-dandy, he references this in the bank scene later, contains ambergris, which is precious, precious whale barf. And as a waxy residue, um, ambergris probably has been used in people's uh, beard care and eyebrow waxing and mustache waxing products back in the times before whales were protected species. So, great job, guys. Great <laughs> yeah. job. Th- um,
1: <laughs> and also, it seems like a bit of a Oh Brother Where At That reference. I mean, there the pomade was Dapper Dan.
0: Mmm, good call. Uh, But
1: the logos are fairly similar. Uh, And, we're like, this was all sort of, like, my brain was not quite meshing into gear. And when I realized, like, oh, it's a dream sequence is when Dr. Mrs. the Monarch shows up as Tinkerbell. Um, And then all of a sudden the Monarch wakes up. uh, And it's pretty clear that he's been um, sort of daydreaming as Dr. Z has been doing his... um, I forget what the acronym stands for... Um... But it's his villain levels Like, surprise inspection... Mm-hmm. And in the real world... Like, the Monarch is out of eyebrow product... And his eyebrows look all weird and off-model... Uh... The new Monarch army... Like, their uniforms are really shabby... The... Like, it's clearly that they just re... It's clear that they just repainted the... Um... The Blue Morpho Cave... In Monarch colors... Um, and like haven't c- entirely finished, um, and the like new hover
0: cocoon ship thing is a balloon, which is wonderfully deflated in a dramatic moment, bursting your bubble. But there, there, there's one thing I just I'm s- still bothered by. So the the henchmen in this episode, both in the fantasy and in real life, are they're they're the folks who they were the day laborers who had been working on remodeling the mansion, and. I'm still really uncomfortable with this because basically the only Latino characters we have other than like little throwaway parts in this show are portrayed as day laborers. And I would love to have a really awesome day laborer, like super villain or superhero within the show. But these guys are just no names. They're sort of depicted being kind of halfway asleep dozing not really quite knowing where they are or what they're doing and i don't think that that's a good portrayal at all like i totally am i, I you know i'm not like saying that my verdict on such matters is what is going to decide these things but i just don't think that if you're going to be like okay monarchs in new jersey now like there's totally you know a lot of day laborers and we're working on it this isn't how i would handle it to actually not come off as racist i think it's pretty gross. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, at least have them be characters, right? Exactly. Let them, let them talk. Or exactly. Have thoughts and opinions. Like,
0: like you had, I, you know, we're ready for the next twenty-one and twenty-four, right? Like, have the have your henchmen be have personalities, and definitely, if you're handling, you know, non-English speaking characters, bring in someone else to help you make sure that you're writing that in a way that isn't totally racist, because that will probably be what happens if you're not bringing in any sensitivity to the issue. Yeah.
1: So um, when the monarchs uh, look gets critiqued, oh uh, yes. he references someone who I don't know at all. So yes, yes. It.
0: So they're saying um, these cost what? These costumes aren't Michael Kors. So Michael Kors, K O R S, is a major American fashion designer. His particular focus is sportswear. He's done uniforms for like high end you know, things like Olympics and kinds of stuff on occasion. So
1: like in this universe, he absolutely would do superhero fashion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You could totally hire Michael Kors to make your superhero or supervillain outfits. Definitely. I imagine him doing both villains and heroes.
1: Okay. That makes a lot more sense. So, um, unfortunately for him, uh, the Monarch is reclassified as a level five. And if you remember, uh, back to last, um, season, you know, he needed to be a level nine in order to hench Dr. Venture. So this is a something of a setback for him, even after having killed uh, the Blue Morpho and technically
0: Jonas Venture. Yeah, it's a bit of a retread thematically. Like, he already spent last season trying to get his points up and high enough to, to arch Dr. Venture.
1: Yeah. Um, so, speaking of the Ventures, uh, we see Hank moving into Dean's room. Uh, and then, um, calling up, uh, Serena. I misinterpreted this, the intent of this conversation.
0: I mean, that's, that's, just, he wants privacy. He wants a bigger room. He made a really swanky, more grown up, mature pad and wants to show it off. Yeah.
1: And especially when we see, you know,
0: his old room, like it really is. Literally an Ikea children's room. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Serena can't come over cause she's. Uh, Up at, quote-unquote, Stuyvesant University, which is Columbia University. Like, she's on the main quad uh, when uh, Brock
0: drops Dean off for school. Um, Yeah, he's, like, cutting donuts on the quad, which I know is, like, a trope from college movies, from, like, 80s college movies. I I can't say specifically which, but it's, like, a thing that they do to establish who are the dominant bad boys. Please excuse me while I vomit.
1: Although it's, it's slightly strange because um, in reality, uh, that's like cobblestone and asphalt. It's There's no lawn where he is. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the things that I thought like, my mind immediately went to is, wait a second, what is that statue doing there? Someone's replaced the sundial that should be in front of Low Library.
0: And- Clearly it was replaced by a supervillain.
1: Well, or a statue of, of Peter Stuyvesant, and, you know, the two are not that different. Um, Stuyvesant was um, technically the first mayor of New York City, I guess you could call him. Um, he was the, the Dutch general director of the New Netherlands. Uh, he's sort of famous, um, you know, you learn about him when you're a kid in New York City schools, because uh, he had one... Um, uh, uh pegleg um he built the wall that wall street is named after he built the canal that broad street is named after or broadway is named after um but on the other hand like he was kind of an asshole like everyone hated him uh he opposed religious toleration um he you know like stubbornly tried to hold the city against Uh, the British, even when they were, like, outnumbered and starving. Um, and just, like, you know, seems to have been, like, a just grouch. Uh, anyway, so, in in the Venture universe, uh, the sundial in front of Low Library is, uh, a statue of Peter's Stuyvesant. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really funny about this is that, like, Brock's moment of rebellion, there's an actual, like, private street... That connects Broadway and Amsterdam at 116th. So, like, as long as you get the nod from the security guard at, like, the booth at either end, like, you can totally drive just straight through. So, it was just, like, a, a weird moment of sanctioned rebellion. Hmm. Um, we then go to uh, Dean's uh, future dorm room where the brown widow is doing something medical with his spinneret.
0: Yeah, he's got to get it cleaned
1: out. Um, And as he's doing that, we see uh, his side of the dorm room. uh, He's got a Stuyvesant poster, which is clearly Hamilton. So in in this universe, the Hamilton musical uh, by Lin-Manuel Miranda was about Stuyvesant. Um, There's a poster um, uh, titled Rings...
0: Yeah, I think it's a Lord of the Rings thing.
1: Yeah, my guess is that someone did a Lord of the Like, in this universe, someone did a Lord of the Rings musical called Rings. Right. Because, like, as they established last season... No, no, sorry, two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brown Widow is, like, a major Broadway fan. And, like, wants to be on Broadway.
0: That makes sense.
1: Um, we see a Prog Rock poster. Uh, we see a poster for Treasures of the Onibozo... Which I think is kind of a reference to like the ubiquitous dorm poster of King Tut's mask. Um, although I want to say that we've heard that like Oni Bozo referenced before, like that the hmm. ghosts who were haunting Venture um, uh, Venture Towers wanted the mask back. Um, oh yeah, so, that could have been one
0: of those cultures. There's also yeah. a nice big Guggenheim Museum, which is real, and you guys should visit it.
1: Yeah, I, I, mostly real. Um, <laughs> so it then leads to like, you know, there were a couple moments this episode that didn't click for me. And then the bit where they stumble in and like he's naked and has a beaver costume in front of his junk.
0: Like just didn't click for me. I well, here's the thing. It's not actually funny, but it does feel like it's after a type. Like there's this kind of like college hijinks movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. That like, that's
0: totally straight out of. And very, we don't like, like that movie because that movie is dumb. But that's what that's a send up of.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say like in
0: retrospect, it does feel kind of American Pie esque. Well like I mean the uh, Revenge of the Nerds or like any of like yeah. maybe Animal House. I don't know. Like all of those we're being wacky guys in college movies that have literally nothing at all in common with any of my college experience. Um, uh, Yeah. Like it's from that genre. So I actually think it might even be a moment of anti-humor for all, for all I can say. I don't know if they're trying to be funny. I think they're just trying to cite it.
1: Okay. Uh, That's fair enough. So um, the main thing is that Dean's pissed off that his like, everyone's pissed off at their family in this episode. Yeah. So Dean's pissed off that his family wasn't there. Uh, that Hank's only interested in getting his room, that Rusty is uh, signing him up
0: for science classes against his will, and he doesn't want to do that. So I really love that Dean is... I mean, of course, Dean is, like, you know, trying to assert his adulthood and independence by saying he wants to study other things, but I also appreciate the show not making the equivalence that if you're smart, then clearly you're interested in science because just because you're smart doesn't mean you have to study science. Right, Stephen?
1: Well, yeah. Um, speaking as a uh, professor of the humanities and social sciences. Yeah. And people's
0: parents try to bully them out of it. And yet here, here are you and I, you know, with em- em- employed and uh, adults.
1: semi-employed.
0: And, you know, I, oh, I would, perhaps over, over-employed. But um, I think that, uh, yeah, a lot of people's parents are dictating what courses they should take in ways that are very short-sighted. Uh, and underplay the importance of writing skills, oh, yes. Lord knows. And critical reading. And critical um, reading. Which, you know. This is how you get Trump, people.
1: <laughs> exactly. I was I was thinking the same thing. It's like our country could desperately need more critical reading skills. Um, but enough of our <laughs> humanities grumbling. Uh, so the sea captain, dressed like Steve Jobs, gives uh, the financial uh, statement for Venture Tech Industries... And it's not good, they're basically out of money, um, because they've been spending it all on repairing their headquarters, uh, from, you know, when it got briefly turned into part of the Ghostbusters movie.
0: (laughs) Um, and... Last week, or I guess two months ago, yeah. Yeah,
1: um, and then Rusty decides to reenact the Hudsucker proxy, um... By jumping out a window because he's reinvented J.J.'s hover belts. Because every time Rusty Venture does anything, it's always to rip off something that one of his relatives had done.
0: You need to spell out that Hudsucker Proxy reference.
1: Oh, sorry. So in the very beginning of the Hudsucker Proxy, uh, the CEO of a major... Is it a toy company originally? I don't remember. Um, Jumps out the window uh, to his death. Um, which starts the events of the movie, whereby a guy in the mailroom gets made sort of a dummy CEO and ends up inventing the hula hoop.
0: It's a good movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the like early Coen Brothers hits.
0: Uh, I I really enjoyed like the win the win- the way the window glass cutting him up is revealed is this wonderful horror take. Like he's sitting there laughing. And then the scratches on his face emerge, and then blood comes out, and it's grotesque, and it's scary and gross. I loved it. Yeah, and Then the it's, body uh, goes limp, and he floats out. It's the most disturbing thing. And it's
1: really kind of like what the Venture Brothers as a show does best, is like, think through the rational implications of, like, bits from pop culture. It's like, yeah- you know, the thing about, like, unless you open the window first, like, all of those windows are really strong glass (laughs) as birds fly into them all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that he just didn't pancake on the window inside. But yeah, um, and, um, plot relevantly, a giant shard of glass has pierced his femoral artery. He's very lucky he's not dead. Yep. Um, so... Meanwhile, um, speaking of financial difficulties, uh, see, all the themes come together. Come together. Yeah, uh, the Monarch and uh, Gary slash 21 go to take out a bank loan to uh, basically get a new hover cocoon so they can up their uh, uh, arch rating. Um, Now, we both got stumped on what this bank was a reference to because it is a very movie-looking bank. And I was thinking, like, is it possible it's the bank from The Mask? Oh, wow. Like, where Jim Carrey works in the beginning of the movie? Like, or, you know, have I seen it in, like, a bank robbery scene? I couldn't tell. Probably. It's, like, all of these, like, desks out mm -hmm. in... Like an open plan, you know, they've got the sort of green lampshade stuff going on. It's all
0: very sort of like dark wood tones and leather. Well, they have the two color marble, which is heinous, actually, but it is a thing. I was like, this is referencing a particular architectural style even um, to have the red marble and the gray marble in the same inlay, which is more expensive and looks really tacky generally. Um, So I think it's from the late 19th century to early twentieth century. Uh, but I don't know exactly Yeah what movie
1: I, what it's a reference to. So um yeah what is the monarch wearing when he goes he to He is wearing
0: that? a monarch color themed Adidas tracksuit which is very specific. I I don't know like when I think of Adidas tracksuit wearing I think of either that revival in the nineties that kind of came out of the house scene but really, the original Adidas tracksuit wearing style is like straight out of New York City hip hop culture and like, you know, hip hop songs You know, like My Adidas is referring to shoes, but they were, you know, like Run DMC wore Adidas tracksuits. I don't really know if there's a significance, actually, but that is what he's wearing.
1: Right. Um, and so it turns out, unfortunately for the monarch, that uh, not only is he not getting a bank loan, uh, but his trust fund at the bank
0: is tapped out and overdrawn oh boy um and i think that that's i mean of course like he deserves it but it's also interesting on a metaphorical level like the past season he's been drawing on the creativity and uh, ingenuity of his of his dad he's been using that intellectual inheritance and that legacy inheritance instead of building his own
1: Right. And I mean, that's kind of like, especially on the financial side, like, you go back to previous seasons, he has always been a trust fund baby, basically, Mm -hmm. Uh, spending his, you know, his dead parents' money um, on revenge against Rusty uh, for, as far as we can tell at this point, stealing his toy truck Um, when they were both like three or something. Um, So the monarch's reaction you know, his entirely rational response is to strip down uh, his Adidas tracksuit, revealing his monarch costume and try to rob the bank uh, only to be foiled by the brown widow who tries for and fails to do like a Spider-Man style snarky put down um in part because the monarch is more distracted by like, where does the webbing actually come from (laughs) um one slightly weird detail is that 21 just sort of sits in the car as all of this is happening, even as the monarch is getting his ass kicked, and like, asking him, like, open the car, start the engine! Um, I don't know, it's slightly strange.
0: Yeah, 21 is usually a little bit more responsive than that.
1: Uh, yeah, although, you know, maybe this is, like, an ongoing thing of, like, him having second thoughts about being uh, a super villain. Hmm. Um, So... We go back to uh, Dean uh, in college and uh, he finds out that uh, his new substitute teacher for Philosophy 102 is the uh, wrestling coach and U.S. military historian
0: Tosh Tompkins. Which I love the name because that's definitely a reference to Spider-Man. I'm sorry, Peter Parker's bully flash thompson who also was spider-man's biggest fan i the whole plot line between peter parker and flash thompson is one of my favorite like silver through bronze age comics interrelationship character lines so i always appreciate seeing that acknowledged um but uh that's another story about it it's really really pretty realistic and true to life anyhow yeah.
1: um and we've seen tosh Tompkins actually in in previous seasons we uh, have bullying, because
0: uh well bullying I'm, bullying Sp- yes bullying spider-man sorry bullying brown Widow. i'm sorry bullying the brown widow's human what's his back. name
1: when he's not brown widow venture brothers his name is uh, Jared something, Jared something. I, we don't yeah. know the last name
0: well it really should be alliterative and if it isn't I demand my money back um, uh, Jared but, yeah. Johnson sure so yeah he's already been established as being that I mean that particular kind of bully and they make jokes he, 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 when he comes in late he says hey Bjorn Borg you're late which is he's wearing that Tennis-style headband, which Bjorn Borg made famous.
1: Ah, um, and his response... Tennis player
0: Bjorn Borg, I should say.
1: And his response to uh, being a substitute teacher, uh, like many substitute teachers, uh, is to put in a videotape instead of trying to actually learn enough to do your job. uh, Speaking as as someone who once taught um, the history of Islam with absolutely no preparation on the history of Islam... Uh, anyone who can't read a chapter ahead of their students uh, is just not putting in the effort, Uh, especially if you put in Zack Snyder's 300 which is a
0: terrible source for anything about Plato's Republic and about U.S. it's terrible if your expertise is on, even if his expertise is on U.S. military history which we'll say why later, you should still know that Zack Snyder's 300 is not even an accurate portrayal of military history. Right. It's really super racist don't watch it that also too. it's bad the riff tracks is pretty entertaining though you'll understand the significance of the line give him some haggis and tell him i'll be right there
1: yeah pretty much the only good thing about that movie is the reigning men um uh youtube oh, God. music video which is great um anyway uh so uh, as dean is coming out of class Uh, He runs into Serena. They are standing, like, literally at the doors of the philosophy building on Columbia's campus, complete with a copy of Rodin's Thinker, which I always thought was, like, one of the most um, on-the-nose public art (laughs) decisions ever. It's like, yes, we get it, philosophy. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) um, Rusty is in hospital. Um... Brock and hatred spar over who should be bodyguarding him. And meanwhile, they have one of my favorite jump cuts, which is hatred is left, helper in charge of the front desk, and they got to help her like losing his mind <laughs> pointing a gun at everyone.
0: Yeah, he's just panicking, like there, 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 ah. Um, yeah.
1: So, uh, Rusty wakes up. And he only cares about what Dean's doing. Uh, Hank comes in with proposals to, like, remodel his room. And he cuts Hank off financially, because Hank won't go to college. Um, again, the theme of the episode. Uh, and this is where, like, my Arthur Miller, uh, antennae started going up. Because, like, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, granted, this is, like, a theme that the Venture Brothers have done before. Um there are a lot of themes in this episode of, like, fathers and sons, death of a salesman, right? There's two brothers, the father has a favorite, but, you know, they're both, um, uh, you know, they're both sort of bucking against the role that's been imposed on them by the previous generation, uh, whether or not that has to do with super science. Actually, Arthur Miller on super science would be amazing. Um, so else is important about this hospital room
0: well it's the same hospital room uh the think tank remember him from last season um he's the uh, dr cornell cornell west meets Modoc, giant head he's he's in that room recuperating and i was worried about that guy because he sustained a really horrible injury and seemed like he was probably a good dude so i guess he's convalescing. okay Monarch so, is depressed yes because he's broke but the way this is revealed is like he's basically as if you're saying he's having a temper tantrum. And he really is acting like a toddler having a temper tantrum. He's breaking the light fixtures. I and mean, he's full length on the floor. Yeah, yeah. He's like, with his, like, shaking his hands. Like, why can't I have it the way I want? Um, Dr. Misses encourages him to, quote, work the program. Which is literally the language that they tell people for 12-step program, right? So whenever people who are in, like, NA or OA or whatever are, like, having problems with, like, using this particular system, which has scientifically been proven to usually not work for people, um, their their sponsors encourage them to, like, trust in the program and continue to work the program, to continue to work the steps to get the end result um, of being cured of what is a mental illness.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, speaking of, like, weird mental health strategies. <laughs> um, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch uses a a very strained butterfly metaphor to get uh, the monarch to buck up, which, you know, kind of works because he doesn't really know anything about butterflies, Any as is well established. Um, but it's also freaky because apparently the, the monarch butterfly in uh, Lucite on his desk
0: is his I guess you'd have to call it his foster mom. Yeah. Which is just freaky. Well, you know, like, if your mom is a butterfly and she just drops dead, like, I think that's probably the proper way to memorialize her body. I mean,
1: you know, sure, like, I know some people keep, uh, you know, ashes in an urn on the, on the mantelpiece. But, like, normally you don't have their corpse in
0: clear glass. I know, as, as, a, as a fellow Jewish person I find the public display as of dead bodies very uncomfortable
1: Right. Um, anyway, so we then go to, and this is one of my favorite new ideas of the episode the Dean of Sciences Dr. Von Helping uh, which, a joke on Dr. Von Helsing uh, who is a total Carl Sagan lookalike I know they talk about um, Paul Atreides later on, but like the the like high neck turtleneck. Yeah. Um the long seventies hair. Um anyway, so he and uh Dean sort of bond over sort of the the way that the super science world can sort of pull you in, that it has its own like kinda of gravity. Um I thought they might go for a full Al Pacino, you know, they every time I think I'm getting out they pull me back in. Uh but no. Um Dr. Von Helping sort of argues for the, the, the good that science can do, um, and Dean agrees to try one science class and picks botany
0: as the least super sciency imaginable. Surely they've heard of the works of Dr. Pamela Isley, PhD, or are they just going to continue to underplay the contributions of women in the sciences?
1: Uh, quite possibly. Um, my thought was, you know, given that this again, Columbia University, I mean, physics for poets, right? It's right there. Oh, is that... What is that? Uh, I mean, Physics for Poets is basically the, like, token... I'm not even sure if it exists anymore, because they redid the Science Core curriculum at Columbia a couple years ago. Um, But uh, it used to be the, like, you know, easy-as-hell physics course that non-science majors could take. It's the equivalent of, you know, English 101 for... You know, engineering students.
0: I see, which they really should need because they're very bad at communicating internally. Not that I have experience with that. I would just say, as a Sarah Lawrence student, I wasn't forced to take anything in science or math whatsoever.
1: Well, see, Columbia
0: University is famous
1: for its core curriculum where everybody has to take everything, Mm -hmm. which is why the engineering students end up having to take, you know, philosophy and English literature courses. Uh, I managed to get through the sciences through anthropology and psychology. That's is,
0: not science. I, I did. Pretty I took bullshit. both of the, I took both of those things. That's not science. <laughs>
1: hey, take it take it up with the take it up with the deans, not me. I Good just, God.
0: Had I only known I could have gotten through that way. I would have applied, I would have never gotten in. Um, but yeah, Pro sorry, to explain Dr. Pamela Isley, that's poison ivy from the DC Comics World. I noticed the wonderful take whales not bombs sign up on his wall. I, I I had to rewind and look at it a few times it's, it's it's a nuclear bomb that's entering the ocean. I I might not be quite reading what the words are, but there's some image of a nuclear bomb in the ocean and whales around it. I wasn't Is it sure test- if it's Test whales,
1: not not bombs, bombs, maybe? that doesn't make any more sense, but it's at least a political
0: slogan that refers to an actual issue. Well, I thought maybe the whale, maybe the whale is wide whale. Maybe it's anti-wide whale or something?
1: I don't know. Um, Anyway, so uh, Hank, uh, his new plan uh, to deal with his money issues, now that he's uh, officially cut off, is uh, to basically turn his room into an Airbnb, although being Hank, he decides to invent his own, um, crowdsourced, um, realtor, uh, slash hotelier, Airbnb.
0: Brought to you by Hanko. Yeah, uh, you know, Airbnb is a huge issue that's a problem in cities all over America, probably all over the world. You know, the challenge that we have in New York is that Airbnb, you know, it, it sounds like it's going to just be individual people lend, r- lending rooms out to other folks in order to offset the cost of their housing. But actually, a lot of it is illegal hotels. Um, people will, there isn't, and you, you've seen this. We've all been to buildings where you, your friend is staying and you go in there and it's literally nothing but Airbnb units in the apartment building. Uh, ShareBetter.org is a coalition of affordable housing organizations and unions, and they estimate that. Uh, Thirteen thousand plus units in New York City are off the market due to Airbnb. Like apartments that people could be renting are not actually rented to people; they're now illegal hotel rooms. Um, In fact, we saw that 75% of listings in black neighborhoods were had white hosts. Basically, so it's either uh, gentrifiers renting out rooms rather than it being the story uh, that they try to tell in their tv spots of it being like oh actually black and brown families are renting out rooms so they can afford rent like nope it's actually white people doing it and uh corporations and stuff like that so yeah check out sharebetter.org i'm not saying you should never ever stay in airbnb ever in your life like sometimes it's sometimes it happens but You should at least get educated about the issues that it presents. Right. Ethical
1: uh, consumption under capitalism is impossible. Exactly. You should at least try.
0: At at least understand the issue and just don't sign on to any bullshit petitions saying that Airbnb shouldn't be regulated because it needs to be for our safety. Um, Fun also, the network that uh, the Wi-Fi network is Rust for Life. Reference to the Iggy Pop song "Lust for Life." Probably not a reference to the film about Van McGough. Um And the password is Kate Jackson. Meow.
1: Oh, so, there's the Kate Jackson reference. Okay.
0: Yeah, she's a Charlie's. She's the brunette from Charlie's Angels. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's okay. not that's not Hank or Dean. That's a Doctor Rusty Venture. I think. Gotcha.
1: Um, so Hank decides to take the money and stalk his girlfriend,
0: who is busy with college. Yeah, and his harasser voice where he's like, hey, baby. Like, he's doing a sort of, like, Latino street harasser voice. It's not okay. Like, he... It doesn't sound like his Enrico Enrico Matassa voice, and even uh, that would be a little bit questionable. This seems like a different ethnic stereotype voice. The show really needs to get... A it's consultant. also
1: just a really weird, like why is that the
0: the strategy that you... Just, I mean, Yeah, granted, she should have hit him. Like I mean, she's about to mace him. She's about to mace him, but after she found out it was Hank, she still should have hit him anyway, just from yeah. shock.
1: Yeah, and it's just, you know, also for doing, you know, a really bullshit thing. Anyway... There's you know, a monarch think, butterfly in the flower bouquet. Did you see it? Ah, I missed that. I um, don't know why. But it, it sort of sets up this whole thing that, like, you know, Hank thinks that he's, like, taking the the cool fun easy route of not going to college but the problem is everyone else has stuff in their life that they're doing and he doesn't anymore um and so you know i think he's feeling kind of lonely and left out uh which you know okay but you should still deal with it in a better way than this
0: yeah yeah and i don't think that he he has he doesn't have to go to college He, he tried to work he could try to get a different job, you know?
1: Yeah, but, like, I, I mean, I I, have, I feel like the pizza delivery thing, you know, I don't know how much of, like, he wasn't trying to, like, go out and rent his own apartment on a pizza delivery guy's salary, like, I think that was more a sort of a sop to, to his dad. Um, I mean, it's just, I, I guess the thing is that, like, in, in an show that's very much about people being stuck in the past or trying to move on, uh, it seems like Dean is like thoroughly trying to, move as you said, like move forward, define himself, uh, whereas Hank wants to stay where he is uh, and is having problems with that. So, yeah. meanwhile, uh, the Monarch uh, experiments with a new hair gel that's, I guess, more affordable and a little bit minty green
0: yeah it's just an overly like hair gel is glue that's actually what hair gel is pomade is a wax based product so it's gonna have a more flexible hold and he does say that on the show the the, wri- right. the writers are aware of hair products uh,
1: and we get two great um dune references in a row yeah. uh, one to uh, uh peter DeVries, um who played one of the mentats uh sort of supercomputer human people uh, who had some crazy big eyebrows. In the book as well
0: as in the movie. Yeah. And then they reference uh, Dr. Van Helping's very polytrades looking hair, which is true.
1: So uh, Serena then shows up in Dean's botany class uh, and they talk dads and super science.
0: Yeah, he wanted her to go into... uh, marine biology and of course no but there's only two students in that course though wouldn't that have been canceled um uh speaking
1: as someone who absolutely doesn't have nine students in his course this semester um i don't know i mean the whole thing does seem a little bit fishy in that also there's very few like undergraduate courses
0: in the evening yeah that's Uh, true that is it, it was pitch black out that late. Yeah, yeah
1: especially like a botany uh, lab class, like because lab classes uh, tend to like run long, so they tend to be earlier in the day. Um. The anyway, so what about um, Doctor Ventures? Uh, excuse me, Doctor Helping. Oh yeah, Do- Van order.
0: Helping. Doctor Van Helping has a massive multicolored scarf. I I thought maybe it was like an Oxford scarf. They have different patterns for each of the different schools in Oxford University and the scarves are like longer than humans are tall. But um his actually is like multicolored and multi-textured. So I'm not exactly sure what it's from. Um, incidentally Harry Potter's scarf Michigas is all taken from the actual Oxford stuff. So if you guys have a more specific reference to this, it's not the Doctor Who fourth doctor scarf, that's for sure.
1: Ah uh, um so at that point obviously the monarch crashes the course Because, like, it's perfect for making Dean freak out. Um, At the same time... um, You know, and I will say, like, you know, to give him credit, even though, like, he doesn't particularly want to arch this guy. Like, he's, you know,
0: he's giving it his gusto. You know, the character of Dr. Van Helping makes you think that Van Helping wouldn't want to be arched.
1: Yeah, well, I think that he had a huge problem with being arched, hence uh, what happens later in the episode. Yeah, but I think,
0: like, isn't the system mean that he would have to have consented to being arched, and yet Um It's possible, but, you know, on the other hand,
1: it seems like there's a bit of an exception for people who are kind of born into it, because, like, JJ didn't sign up for being arched, hmm. and got arched anyway, and my guess is, as the son of a famous villain, like, he's deemed to be fair game.
0: Gotcha. That's fucked up. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Uh, Anyway, so back at uh, uh, Venture HQ, uh, Brock's trying to relax with Game Night, but Hank's stolen the TV. At the same time, Hatred reacts to the German tourists in Hank's room, um, and (gasps) things don't go well. Uh, No. (laughs) So Hank is not in his room or in his other room. Uh, He goes to Rusty's hospital room and talks to his dad about not being the favorite son, and this is like very Arthur Miller, right? Because, you know, he's pouring his heart out and to, you know, his father, who's unconscious and can't hear him, and then when the father wakes up, uh, you know, it's this like, oh my god, you've been hearing it the whole time, yada yada, uh, except that he's too dopey to, like, actually communicate with Hank, uh, and instead says that he's always liked Kate Jackson the best. Uh, and in part, conversation gets interrupted by the fact that um, and here's where our thing about uh, um, Tosh Tompkins Tompkins. comes back.
0: Yeah, so why is a song starts to get louder happening from the other room? I really wish I could go back and capture the the lyrics. I I listened to it a few times and wasn't quite able to pull them out.
1: Yeah, I couldn't track it either because like there was anyway, um, but it's like your typical kind of college quad, acoustic guitar, sad rock kind of thing. Um, and now, of
0: course, I realize why he's playing guitar for Think Tank because Tosh Tompkins is Stars and Garters, the America, the Captain America, uh, rip uh, pastiche from the earlier season. Right,
1: but also they're both fellow colleagues yes. from. Stuyvesant University, and he's substituting for Think Tank. So, clearly there's some sort of, uh, you know... they friends. Interdepartmental
0: collegiality going on. Here. Yes. But I hadn't realized that that's who he was until then.
1: Yeah, neither did I. Um, so, I was just, like, really confused about that, and then only when someone uh, I on the AV Club uh, comment threads uh, pointed out the identical haircuts, I was like, oh, shit, that makes so much more sense. Um, so... Meanwhile, uh, back at the Archang, uh, the Monarch and Gary both hit, hurt themselves, hitting Dr. Van Hel- uh, Helping because they didn't pay attention to the implications of the son of a metal man who then suffered 80% of burns, sorry, uh, burns to 80% of his body is probably made of metal, uh, and notably, like, he's, he's totally passive, he doesn't give a shit, um, so they decide to uh, kidnap Serena. She could care less like she's been around you know uh, uh, you know arches who are like level 8 or 9 so fives don't really you know impress her uh, but this like totally flips out Dr. Von Helping who bursts into
0: flames uh, revealing a metal man uh, underneath. underneath. Yeah he's got like a, his exterior I guess was wax and it melts off in a very horrific image and um, and I think his character design underneath is really interesting. He kind of looks like the Metal Men from DC Comics.
1: Yeah, although the reference is, you know, also kind of close to Doctor Doom, a little bit. Um, you know, I guess that has the black voidish eyes. Well, also the sc- the sort of hideous scarring. He had hideous scarring.
0: Sorry. He had hideous scarring.
1: Well, Doctor Von helping. The reason why he's metal is that his father did a super science experiment on him that caused
0: it scarring over 80% of his body. That is definitely Dr. Van Doom then, yeah. Right.
1: Um, So Dean intervenes, um, you know, again, like being just thoroughly pissed off about the way that his life is getting railroaded. Um, The monarch gives him a somewhat hypocritical speech about privilege, given that, like, the monarch's been a trust fund baby all his life. Um, so Dean decides to write him a check for a million dollars to get him to go away
0: that's an interesting thing like the show hasn't really dealt with that before anybody trying to literally buy somebody off to go away
1: yeah it's also like the whole economics of the thing has been a little bit like how this system works has been a little bit confusing Um, and here we sort of get a suggestion that like part of what pays supervillains to be supervillains is by stealing from their arches that they just rip them it's off a collection racket yeah um so anyway turns out that um uh serena is impressed by uh, dean's sort of quick thinking and dean seems to have a bit of a boner for her which potentially sets up a love triangle, because ultimately, like, Serena does have a lot more in
0: common with Dean than she does with Hank. And literally boner, incidentally. Um, yeah. What was I going to say, though? Like, the, the buying him off thing. Like, we know that he has his dad's checkbook.
1: But yes, which is, I imagine, going to be a point of, of controversy, because, like, Hank was pissed off that he wasn't considered uh, responsible enough to use the checkbook, and now Dean just spent a million dollars.
0: And, yeah, it's a million dollars. It's not... That's not an amount of money that you just give without having a prior conversation. So I think paying off the monarch a million dollars to go the fuck away is a reasonable action to take, but you you discuss that with the other members of the family first.
1: Yeah, I certainly think it's going to come up again. Um, but we after the credits, we find out that it is enough to make the monarch arch of the month, which makes me think that uh, a lot of... Uh, supervillains are not making much on a month-to-month basis. Doesn't seem to be a very lucrative... Lucrative, no. Um, and he gets a tin of his favorite uh, pomade from Dr. Z. Aw, oh, heartwarming. Yeah. So, what did you think of this episode?
0: I enjoyed it. Um, there was... I, I, I'm not, like I mentioned before, I'm not super interested in a retread of uh, the monarch trying to climb the ladder yet again, and have that be his only obstacle i i don't know that that's necessarily what we're is in store for but i really enjoyed the familial challenges i really am interested in seeing the venture brothers dealing with the the college environment um and i appreciated how rooted in the city the the show continues to be yeah i mean
1: um i like the columbia university stuff um and, you know, as we said, the, like, whole Hudsucker proxy thing. Um, I think I would feel different about this episode if it didn't come after one of my favorite episodes. Mm. Um, you know, so I think it's sort of, it, it suffers a little bit in comparison to Arrears in Science. But, like, it's a perfectly fine episode. You know what it felt like to me? I mean, I know that supposedly, like, we're getting ten episodes this season. Yeah. Um, Wow. But, like, this felt very much like an episode one. Like, that they, you know, they'd fired their fireworks from the sort of the quote-unquote finale episode last time. Yes.
0: This is the beginning of episode seven. This is the new status quo.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's setting up the new status quo, the new conflicts, etc. Which... You have to do even though that's not the most exciting thing in the
0: world. And, you know, hopefully I'll have an opportunity to go on at great length about the importance of the Flash-Thompson-Peter Parker relationship in the future. So there's always that. Um, Well, thank you. I, I think that's all we have for today. Yep. So for folks, um, remember this podcast is brought to you by Graphic Policy. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, but mostly Blog Talk Radio and on iTunes. Our website is graphicpolicy.com. You can find me online. I'm Elana underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn on Twitter. Just this past week, we—I um, was just on the Wrong Real podcast, which is a fabulous film podcast. Uh, I was there to talk about two of Fritz Lang's U.S. films. Um, one of them is was Fury, the other, which is basically like an anti-lynching suspense story starring Spencer Tracy. Um, it's incredibly political and really good movie. Uh, and then everybody's favorite uh, film noir, which is The Big Heat also very rooted in politics but um very much a classic film noir so if you want to hear me talk about two film noir type movies and the works of fritz lang in america because i think he's one of the most underrated american directors uh check it out so that's at wrong real w-r-o-n-g-r-e-e-l Stephen, where can folks find you
1: uh you can find me uh on twitter at Stephen atwell uh you can find me on uh tumblr and wordpress at race for the iron throne you've been a guest on anything lately uh, let me see. Have I been a guest on, I mean, this podcast? Uh, oh, also on graphic policy, um, uh, I'm doing, uh, along with uh, my colleague Chris, an issue by issue podcast about the brilliant graphic novel series or comic book series, uh, The Wicked and the Divine, called The Gods Cast, uh, which you should hopefully, uh, sorry, also uh, find on graphic policy and hopefully soon on itunes as well
0: yeah it's a really great podcast you guys should definitely check it out i'm a huge fan of the series and the podcast well thanks you guys um and then so you and i will sign off by saying go go team Team venture Venture brothers podcast Podcast. okay we're never getting this thing right are we i disagree